I'm Michael McMullen. Welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast, where for the first time ever this week, we have a guest from Switzerland. It's that country's best ever player, Alexander Erzenbacher. Alex, welcome along. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. It's not a country we associate with snooker over the years. So how did you first get into the game? I uh, tried a few different things, played tennis for a few years, obviously football like every other kid. Um, loved sports in school, uh, done a bit of kung fu as well. Uh, I was into music as well, um, but then I just um, just realised that there is a, a quite exciting bit of, uh, you know, it's it's exciting to play pool and stuff, and I just realised um, that is it's really different to any other stuff I've tried, and just saw the snooker table next to it and just wanted to have a go and uh, really loved it from the first moment. A lot of kids on the continent <coughs> took to the game as well by watching some of the action on Eurosport. Does that include you? Yeah, I think I think once I started, I'm not sure if I saw snooker on telly before I started playing. I think I think I watched Ronnie once. Uh, I was aware that there was a snooker table next to these pool tables I've played on, um, and then I watched it on te- uh, television and. Uh, just thought I'll give it a go because it looks really easy and stuff. And it was mm-hmm. a big table and, you know, lots of balls, different colours, a nice green cloth. And I just thought I'll have to give uh, this a go, you know. And when you're playing in a non-traditional snooker country, I guess one of the problems you have is trying to find other players of good quality to play against. So was that an issue for you? Uh, when I started playing, there was actually more people around than now. Uh, I guess it was a similar thing in the UK because... I've heard that 20, 30 years ago was completely different. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- there was enough There was enough juniors and, and just players in general in my club where I started to, to compete against, especially at my level at the time, wasn't that good. So uh, I never struggled playing people. When you were learning the game and you were still an amateur, you did spend some time at the academies in England, didn't you? But I suspect that was perhaps not so much to improve yourself, but maybe even to find out just how good the opposition was and see how you matched up. Yeah, I didn't really. I mean, when I when I was a junior and stuff and stuff, I, I pretty much won everything in Switzerland, and I thought I'm really good. And then I came to the UK and uh, <clears throat> realised that I don't really know a lot of the stuff that you need to know to play the game to a high level. You know, I realised that I don't really know much. And um, for me, it was more like a learning curve, just just to see what this is all about in the UK. You know, that it's obviously a national sport here, or one of the national sports, and. Um, yeah, I just wanted to come over and see what this is all about and really liked it. But I, I clearly saw that it's way different than back home. You made your way into professional status by 2013. Now, were you surprised to get there that soon or did you think you were ready for it by then? No, I just, I just you know, I didn't even know all the players uh, before I played Q-School. You know, I didn't even, I've never even heard of Q-School before. I just um, heard it somewhere. I think a mate of mine mentioned it and he said that's a qualifying event for you know, qualifying for the main tour and stuff. So I just thought, well, I'll give this a go because, you know, I've, I've won everything in Switzerland. You know, this this is, w- w- you know, where I should be, you know. So I just tried it. And uh, back then, the draw was not that hard. Like, it, was, it was still tough, but um, I only lost one frame uh, to Rianne in mm-hmm. the semis. And um, and the the only player I, I knew was Adam Richard, which was third last round. But all the others I've never heard ab- about. And... Um, yeah, for me, it was really surprising to qualify because I didn't expect it. I just thought I'd give it a go and see what happens. So that was really, it was really a, like a dream come true for me, you know. Getting onto the Pro Tour, of course, is one thing, and then winning matches on it is another. And you struggled to do that for a while. You lost your first seven matches as a pro. I wonder what that does to your thinking, Alex. Does that really dent your confidence to the extent that you're thinking, am I really good enough for this? Or did you always keep believing you could do it? Um, 
to be honest, when I qualified, I didn't really know how to put this because I was Swiss number one, and all of a sudden I'm I'm a professional snooker player on paper. Uh, and a good friend of mine texted me after I qualified. He said, "Um, you know, now the hard work starts. You, you're with the big boys now." And I'm like, you know, what, what does he mean? Because I've never played these kind of events before, and I didn't know how this going to feel and stuff. So when I when I first started playing a few events, I realised that this is just another level. So I was doubting myself whether I'm good enough for this or not because I'm always watching on telly and stuff. Um, and I'm, I was playing good in practice and stuff, but it's completely different when you're playing the, the players that you've always seen on telly, playing them on telly. And uh, I was doubting myself the first two years. I'm like, you know, this this might not be for me because I can't imagine playing that good. I can't I can't understand how, how they do that. And then... I was doubting everything I do and stuff, and uh, yeah, it just dropped off after two years. And I'm guessing then, in that situation, if you've had doubts while you're on the tour, when you then get relegated from it, you start to wonder, well, should I continue with this? Or did you always feel, no, I want to give this another go, it's too soon to pack it in? No, I never, never thought about quitting, I still don't, you know, um, obviously now I don't, but uh, even at the time I just thought, you know, um, there must be something to it, because I've been winning everything in Switzerland um, quite easily, so... I must have something that other players don't. So I was always thinking, you know, if I if I keep it going, then maybe you know I'm going to improve and actually fulfil my you know potential. But I was never sure when that was going to happen because it was just such a complete, completely different world. I just didn't know what to do. I just thought I'll keep practicing, see how it goes. But I didn't seem to get the the improvement that I wanted. So um, I was off for two years uh, and then won the Europeans and I. Felt like I really improved after that. Yeah, you won that European Under-21 title. And not only that, but you beat Jackson Page in the final. And there was so much talk about him at the time. That must have been a huge confidence lift in itself to beat this guy who everyone was talking about. Yeah, the, the, exactly a year before I've played the Europeans, I started stopping messing around with my technique and stuff. Just basically just forced myself to just play and enjoy it, you know. Because uh, improvement comes automatically, I think, if you do the right things. And then I... I uh, I noticed improvement every few months in my game. I reached the World Under-21 final in, I think it was October or something, in 2016. Had my first maxi on Christmas Day 2016 and then had another maxi in a tournament. Wait a minute, you were playing on Christmas Day? Now that's dedication, yeah. <laughs> very impressive. No, I just, well, I didn't work at the time. I just, I just um, you know, practised as hard as I could and... Um, Luckily, felt improvement all the time. And um, as I said, I had a, another maxi in a tournament in Austria uh, first week in January 2017. And then, obviously, I was a favourite to win the Europeans where I beat Jackson Page. And I knew he was going to make it tough for me. I was 3-0 up and I felt really nervous. And I'm like, I don't know if I can win this match, you know. I won 6-4 in the end and, uh, yeah, got another tour card. And as so often happens when a player's been off the tour and gets back on... Very soon after that, they have a really, really good tournament. And yours came at the English Open. Beat some really good players along the way. We'll talk about the semi-final itself in a moment. But tell us about the journey there, beating guys like Michael White, Sean Murphy, and how well you had to play to beat them. Yeah, that, that was funny because when I when I won the Europeans, I got invited for the Worlds. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and I was really, really confident. In, you know, I even said to my mate before I went to play the Worlds, I said, you know, you, you better watch this first round match because I'm going to win it. And I played Robert Milkins and I beat him 10-6. So this is in the qualifiers now. This is in the yeah. qualifiers, you know. And uh, I've never really won matches on the tour. I, I, I won four matches in my first two years. 
so I never really got the feeling for that, you know. And uh, I beat him, and then I beat um, uh, Scott Donaldson ten nine to play Yan Bing Tao. He, he beat me in the last qualifying round, but as the season started, I felt really confident. And when I when I played that English Open, I uh, I was just full of confidence, you know. I was obviously always nervous in the first few rounds and stuff, but um, it just opened up, and uh, and I just uh, I just um, played my own game. I wasn't nervous in the semis at all. I was really, really tense in the quarters when I beat Michael, um, which was a good win because I, I beat him 5-0 and, um, you know, I couldn't believe it, basically. And when I walked out for the semis, I felt nothing, just pure excitement, no nerves, nothing. You played a lot of very good stuff along the way as well, didn't you? Those home nations events, you've got to play all sorts of matches. You're going to have some close finishes, but you also played some good quality snooker along the way. Yeah, I've had two, I've had two tough ones. Uh, the first two rounds was Anthony Hamilton and Jared Green, I think. I beat Jared Green on the blue, and um, that was to play, I think, Stuart Carrington. Uh, obviously got the better of him as well. And then I played Sean Murphy, and that was the first ever, you know, time where I thought, you know, if I, if I keep this going, I've got a chance against Sean. And I beat him 4-1, and he and he posted on social media afterwards. He said, what can you do if your opponent doesn't miss a ball and stuff? Uh, so that gave me another boost of confidence and then obviously going into the uh, quarterfinals feeling really well and just, you know, unfortunately the, the, it, it, it all ended in the semis, but it was mm. a still still nice tournament, still nice experience. Tell us about the match because it was Kyron Wilson who beat you six frames to three in the semi-final. So what are your recollections of how that played out? Uh, I started off well, I went 2-0 up. I think I had two breaks over 70 and um, uh, I had a chance to go 3-1 and I missed position on the brown, I think. I think I put the green in the middle and had to uh, play a tough position on the brown and missed the brown and should have been 3-1. So I went to each and then uh, I had another 80 to go 3-2 up. And after that, I can just remember it, did, it didn't miss a ball. So I can't remember if it was because of my safeties and stuff, but um, it, was, it, was, it was a good experience, definitely. The rest of that season, though, was just a bit of a write-off, and we all expected he's going to kick on from here and play really well and do well in lots of tournaments. Was it a classic case of maybe you expecting a bit too much after that? Yeah, I remember going to the club after the semis, and I just felt different. I just thought I'm a different player now, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stay there automatically, but I just approached shots and frames and matches in such a different way to what I have been doing uh, in the last six months previous to that uh, and then I, I realized something's wrong you know I'm expecting too much I was like oh this is going to happen automatically I'm just there now because when I was in the practice room before the semis I'm like wow I'm in the top three of a ranking event mm. there's no one around I'm, I'm, I'm in the top three you know and I really struggled with the expectation after that so um yeah, I've, I've I've put it to that, obviously. Um, but I could have I could have just got some mental coaching, maybe. But I just I just couldn't handle it. I think. Well, it's good that you made the realization that you needed to change things around, and ultimately you end up qualifying for the Crucible in 2020. So we know that's a dream for everyone, and of course all players want to win a title eventually. But that's a bit down the line. Getting to the Crucible is something you can do earlier in your career. So it's something that so many players focus on. So what was that like? That moment that you knew you were going to be playing at the Crucible? Um, I played Andrew Higginson in the last round. I had a really tough black um, to... I think it was I think it was a respotted black. I'm not quite sure. He's missed a black to get on the yellow. Um, and then I cleared up, and I think it was a respot to win 10-8. 
And as, as soon as I potted a black, I'm like, oh, I can't believe this because, you know, th this is like another, this is like the next level qualifying for the Crucible. You've you got to be a decent player to do that. You can't just have some luck and have a good run. You need to be a proper player to do that. So uh, when I realised I'm actually playing at the Crucible, because I always said to my mates and family, I'm not going to go there and watch until I play. Mm -hmm. uh, so did I uh, with the Masters. I'm not going to go there unless I play in it, you know. Um, so to qualify for that was like making history and uh, I still struggle to believe it some, you know, sometime today because it's just such a achievement for me and, um, you know, I'm really pleased I've done that. It was a really strange qualifying competition because this was the COVID summer, let's call yeah. it that, and the qualifiers were played in very strange circumstances. And then, of all the things you would have expected to happen when you dreamed of making your Crucible debut would be that you'd walk out and there'd be nobody there. Yeah, I got a friend over um, from Switzerland. I couldn't even see him because he was uh, he was in the corner and there was no lights there. So I was waving in, into no no man's land, you know, just you know. So you were um, allowed a guest, and you had a guest in the arena. I had one guest yeah. with me, um, and I was hoping that they was was going to let fifty, a hundred people in, but they didn't. So when I walked out, it was a bit sad because you know, being this first Swiss player to play in the Crucible and. You know, dream come true for me, and there was no one there. It was a bit sad, you know. I didn't really feel too excited because that's not what I was hoping for. But it was still, it was still really nice in a way. So, do you feel you have to now achieve that dream all over again to get to play there with a crowd? Yeah, for sure. No, I, <laughs> that you know that that's got that's got to be my next goal: qualify again because um, I've been there, but I didn't experience what everyone is talking about that that tight atmosphere and. Uh, the fans sitting right behind you and stuff. I was hoping to experience that, so I have to qualify again, I guess. Let's talk about the match itself. It was against Barry Hawkins, who we know is such a great record at the Crucible. It finished 10-2. So what was the story behind that, Alex? Was it a case that because of what you were talking about, walking out and there being nobody there, that maybe you felt a bit flat? Or did Barry just play really well? Uh, I remember he, had, he broke off the first frame and um, I potted the long red and made 50-odd straight away, so... I went 1-0 up and in the second frame I think I potted the blue to play for the yellow and I went in off. So if that would have gone 2-0, it mm. could have probably been a different outcome. Obviously we don't know that. But um, yeah, to, to, to lose 10-2, it was a bit of a hard one to take in the end. But I guess that's just what happens sometimes in the Crucible. Let's do the quick fire round. Favourite movie? Uh, Shutter Island. The best anyone's ever played against you? Probably... Barry Hawkins. He's played me a few times, and he's, I remember he's played well once. I don't remember which one it was, though. Your favourite Swiss sports stars? Are you into other sports? Yeah, it has to be Federer. Yeah. It has to be Federer. <laughs> I was born in the same village, so it has to be him. Oh, really? Born in the same village? Yeah, yeah. Wow, fantastic. Your favourite type of music? Uh, I'm really, I shouldn't say this, but I'm really into techno. Why shouldn't I, you say that? Well, a lot, a lot of that. people don't like it. I listen to everything, even classic stuff, but I'm really into techno. And your ideal way to spend a day off? Have a lie-in, uh, have some good food with either my mates or my family, um, play a bit of Xbox maybe, go out, see a friend, have a coffee somewhere, play a bit of nine ball, uh, enjoy the night. Yeah, It's not a day off if you've got a cue in your hand, Alex. <laughs> you can't have any pool in there. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. And let's talk about Ronnie O'Sullivan, which for most players it's like head and hands and, oh, I've had so many bad experiences because he's so good. But for you it's the complete opposite. Now, he beat you once in Championship League, but the other three times you've played him, you have won every time. So why do you think that's been? I think when I first beat him, um, I didn't expect to beat him. I was really chuffed with that because 
he had a ton first frame and I'm like, here we go. He's going to do it to me as well. Um, and then I beat him. I think that was Valentine's Day, 2006. Well, it was at the Welsh, so it would have been around that time of yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I called my mum. I said, look, mum, I won. That's that's a gift for you because mm-hmm. I'm not with you on Valentine's Day. So, you know, that's that's all I've got for you today. And then uh, and after that, I really started to believe that I can beat anyone if I play well. And when I drawed him again in the UK, um, I didn't fear him. I just I just thought this is exciting because I get to play the greatest player ever on on one of the biggest tournaments ever you know uh i was playing well in practice then and just um yeah just just played well just really fancied it i I can't tell you why he just he just brings the best sort of mindset out of me because against other top players i struggle sometimes but against him uh i just think it's the ultimate test and if you if you're not up for that then i don't really know why you're holding a cue because i I understand why players get intimidated because he is really intimidating but I just, I just, um, I just love the challenge. And you beat him again at the British Open in Milton Keynes last autumn. I think you've gotten his head a bit. I think the fact that you've got such a good record against him, it's making it hard for him. You're the one who has an aura against him. Now that's an amazing thing to have against O'Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, he he, he said a few times that he likes his mindset because I just play the table and just play the balls and stuff. I'm not really playing the opponent, and I think over ninety percent of the people do that. Uh, maybe not so much the Asian players, but definitely the continental Europe and British players play the players, and I just try to play my game. Uh, I just try to prepare good and just you know do the same I do in practice. So maybe that's helping me against Ronnie. I don't really know what it is, but I just I just fancy the challenge every time I get it. When you won that match uh, last uh, September, your parents were there, and you mentioned your mum there. My mum was there. Oh, ju- just that, your mum? Yeah. yeah. The, the other bloke was a mate of mine. That oh was, right. That was where, uh, when I played in the Crucible. Yeah, at the British Open, and your mum being there. And you mentioned her there in the Valentine's Day call. So has she been a big part of your snooker career, a big support to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even know she was coming to the British Open. I knew my friend was coming. And then when I when I opened the door in the morning, when he was when he arrived, I, I saw my mum was there, and I just couldn't believe it. So I was really tense the whole day. But um, I, there was no way on earth that I wasn't going to give it 100% when I was playing Ronnie because my mum's never seen me play live so um, you know for me that was really really special and I was never going to get in that day I was never going to give up that day I think Ronnie will concede Alexander 46 frame and a match indeed he does breaks of 69 45 51 and the contribution to get over the line 46 Lorenza is delighted and rightfully so Alexander Ersenbacher has created a seismic exit. He's beaten Ronnie O'Sullivan for the third time, would you believe? Disappointing then that the next round you lose to Joe O'Connor and then you didn't really kick on in the months after that. So why do you think that is? It seems to be that you have these big moments, it looks like you're going to build on it and it doesn't quite happen. It is very tough, of course. Um, yeah, well, the thing is against Ronnie, it, I, I wanted to win so badly, I, I almost forgot the troubles I've been dealing with the last 18 months. I just... I just concentrated on the match itself and on each and every ball. Um, I have been struggling recently with, with self-doubt and stuff uh, because I was doubting everything I do on the table, which I never imagined would happen to me because I'm naturally a, a confident person and, and a natural person, so I never thought that was going to happen to me. But um, I really struggled with it the last 18 months. And my game is back now. I feel like my game is back now. And I've, 
I've really been working hard on it as well. What is your setup now, Alex? Have you moved to England full time? No, I've not. I've not done that. I don't think I will ever do that because I appreciate Switzerland way too much. It, it gives me a lot of pleasure in so many different ways, um, and it's my favourite country to live in as well. So um, I've got all my mates, all my family, all my surroundings. So I was never. I, w- I would never move to the UK full full stop but um i'll definitely stay here as much as i can yeah it's a good thing in a way to be traveling over and back because if you're going to all that effort to travel from switzerland over to the uk where so many of the tournaments are played it gives you that incentive to really make it worthwhile yeah i've I've, you know i try to go back whenever i can if there is a four week gap i try to go back for a week and see all my loved ones and stuff get some energy and then come back and prepare for the next one but i couldn't i couldn't stay here non-stop because it wouldn't be good for my mental health is that something that you've struggled a lot with mental health in recent years with covid and everything and of course the toughness of being a professional sportsman uh not so much before covid and and even covid itself was really i I really enjoyed it probably a lot of the players didn't but i certainly did um just uh no one around you you got you you got your peace um you know less pressure i guess in a way um I was still able to practice in Switzerland, uh, so was I in here, uh, obviously under different circumstances, but I was able to play and because uh, everything was held in Milton Keynes, it was just down mm. the road for me. So I was really enjoying COVID time. And after that, um, I, I had a good season at COVID. And then after that, I started struggling. That was the time I was talking about. And then if you're not winning matches and you're away from your friends and family for months, and you're not making it worth it um you, you're not going to be in a good place you know it's 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 it was really tough for me i was wondering what i'm actually doing here um even when i fell asleep at night i just i just did not see a point in what i'm doing because i was not getting results i was not feeling like i'm improving um there was no one around uh you know no players to play with um so it was really tough for me but um i guess if you do well then you don't, you're not thinking about all this stuff because it's worth it. At a recent event, I walked into the practice room and the three players there were you, Lucas Kleckers and Florian Nusla, the young amateur from Austria. And I thought this is definitely the first time I've seen three players from three different countries all speaking German to each other. But little things like that probably help a bit with adjusting and being away from home so much. Definitely, because I can feel like, you know, being myself. I mean, I'm myself even when I'm talking English to you guys, but it's just nice when I can just talk the way I talk back home and uh, and they understand where I'm coming from I understand where they're coming from because Germany Austria and Switzerland are all similar countries when it comes to snooker um, the level is a bit higher in Germany and Austria than it is in Switzerland but it, it all works the same way because the mentality is so much different so when we're together it, it's it's really nice because we, we understand each other really well. You were speaking German fluently in that instance I'm talking about. Your English is absolutely amazing as well. So how many languages can you speak? Well, my mum is from Portugal, so I speak fluent Portuguese. Um, you know, so that's that doesn't really count. No, it does. Of course it does. Um, yeah. <laughs> obviously German, um, as everyone uh, does in, in, in Switzerland. Um English, and I'll talk a bit of French. Let's talk about Roger Federer there. I didn't know you were actually from the same village, but, you know, you've got guys like, say, Maradona in Argentina, Shane Warne, who sadly passed away recently from Australia. Every country's got its sporting icon, and particularly for someone like Federer, who's been such a a world star. So just how big a deal is he where you're from? 
Well, I don't really uh, watch the news too much, but um, I know that he's he's a legend. He's an absolute legend in, in Switzerland. You know, he used to walk down the streets when he was 17, 18, and when he just, uh, you know, when he just got on the tour and stuff, and people recognised him, pointed at him. But now he can't go anywhere. He's just mm. uh, he's just like Ding Jinghui in China, you know. Um, but um, yeah, he's, he's he's probably one of everybody's idol. Everyone's that got to do something with sport he's an idol to them so um i just i'd love to be where he is in snooker and speaking of other sports what's all this kung fu business you said <laughs> you did a bit of that when you were younger yeah i was i was really into sports and music as i said um so i just tried a bit of everything um just to get a grip in something maybe find something that i'm really good at um yeah, just, I, I would still like to do it, but obviously I haven't got that much time now, and you, you, you need to sacrifice time. It costs money as well, so you can't you can't do everything now. When I started playing snooker, I had to stop uh, with three or four other things. So um, yeah, I just I just like stuff. I don't know, I just like to do stuff. But snooker is your passion at the moment, and that's where your life's focus is. I think everyone probably feels you're a long way from reaching the level that you can reach in the game, that there's a lot more to come from you. So how good do you feel you can ultimately be and what level can you reach? I think I can become world champion because um, it's, it's just, it might sound a bit arrogant to, to some people listening to this, but... Um, no, I don't think so. People know that you've got a lot of talent and you've got to aim high. Yeah, I know, but when you've not, when you've not proven it, like, you know, beating Ronnie's once, but winning... Uh, multiple tournaments that's what you need to do before you win the worlds and i've not even come close to do that yet i've been to a semis and a quarters but i've not really had a hand on the trophy yet so um, yeah but, but you don't have to do that though alex because sean murphy he hadn't won a tournament graham dot hadn't won a tournament ken doherty had won one ranking event and a couple of invitationals and joe johnson hadn't won anything so you don't necessarily have to go through that no yeah i know what you're saying i i i yeah, that's a good point, actually. I mean, it's just a feeling a feeling I've got because sometimes in practice, I just I just feel like I'm making it so ridiculously, ridiculously easy, you know, and I'm like, if I can improve a little more, surely that is one of the things I can achieve, you know. I'm not even talking about winning a tournament. I know I can win a tournament. That's not, that's not what I'm worried about, but it's just, um, I, I think I can, yeah, I think can, I can get a world title one day, hopefully. Yeah. And what's going to make that happen, Alex? How are you going to go from a guy who plays really well sometimes, beats very good players, to someone who's doing it consistently and becoming one of the best himself? I think there's not really a key to it. I've been listening to a lot of top players' interviews and stuff, and, and what they say is always so logic in a way, but to us players that are trying to win our first event, it's it's... It's almost like we don't really. We're trying to find a way to do it, but there's no way. There's no key to it. You just got to do. You just got to keep doing what you're doing, and a door is going to open. You know, if you if you believe in yourself and just, you know, do the things you're supposed to to do, like practice five or six hours a day, and uh, you know, improve your game, work on your game. At some point, you're gonna make it happen, I guess. Well, Luca Purcell has made the breakthrough from mainland continental Europe, shall we say. We would love to see somebody else do it. And if it's someone who speaks as well as you, so much the better. So we wish you all the best for the rest of your career, Alex. And thanks so much for joining us on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Thanks very much. Next time, it's Ollie Lines, including reflections on how a change of thinking helped him to the best run of his career at the Turkish Masters last season. I just went in and I just tried to just talk to myself in a better manner. Like, try and big myself up instead of thinking about 
shots I've missed are and uh in the last sixty four I think I played Shaogadong and uh I was four two up and he needed three snookers on the green. And <laughs> next thing you know it's four each and mm. I'm I'm fifty nine behind or something and I managed to clear up um with one visit to well, nick the match back off him even though I'd I'd absolutely thrown it away. And I think that clearance just made me believe in myself a bit more for the next couple of matches. So that's coming up next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast. And don't forget our bonus content, The 147, rounding up the week's snooker headlines in 147 seconds, out every Tuesday and available to download at wst.tv. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.